0: I have the uh, privilege of introducing our superintendent of the Southern California Network, Pastor Rich and I go back uh, many, many, many years. We're actually from pretty close to the same neighborhood. Um, He may not call it a ghetto, but I did. (laughs) But uh, God is amazing. Can you say amen? I remember when I first became a believer, Pastor Rich, I don't know if I've told you the story, if I did, I, maybe a long time ago, and as I started to go to La Trinidad, which was the church that Pastor Rich is from and his family. And I go on Tuesdays because they had a bilingual service, and it was mostly in English, and I just wanted to be where Jesus was. We had a few relatives that went there. I didn't know Pastor Rich, but on one particular Tuesday night, there was this young fireball preacher. And I was watching him preach, and he was preaching, and the spit was flying, and the hands were moving, and Jesus was in the air. And I was sitting next to Brother Bob Pimentel, who is still a mutual friend of both of us, who we love dearly. And I said, who is that guy? And he goes, that is Pastor Rich Garrett-to-be. He was going to Vanguard University at the time, was answering the call. And I have never forgot that night. I can still see it in my eye's eye when I first laid eyes on you. And I said to myself, I want to be like that guy. That guy is destined to do something for God. And here we are some 40 years later, and he is now the superintendent of the Southern California District of the Assemblies of God. One other thing that I want to share with you that is always, when I think of you, I always think of your dad. Because Pastor Guerra had a dad. His name was also Rich Guerra. And I was going with him into ministry. Him and Bob Pimentel were mentoring me in the Lord as a young Jewish guy who knew nothing about Jesus. And I was in the back seat and we were driving to Wayside Honor Ranch. We were going to minister in maximum security prison. And we're just driving down the road and Brother Garrett just turns around in the back seat and looks at me and he goes, Scott, how long have you been a believer now? And I go, two years. And then he asked me this question. He says, have you been baptized? And I said, no, I didn't do that yet because I understood what baptism meant for me. And he says, well, what are you waiting for? The rapture? And at that moment, I knew the next week I asked my pastor to baptize me. So God is good. God uses the most unusable people in the world, a Jewish guy and a young Hispanic brother out of the ghetto. Can you say amen? See, that may not be flattering to you, but that's flattering to me. Brother Garrett, please come.
1: Amen. How many love Jesus? Raise your hand. What a joy and honor to be here. This is a special day. As uh, Scott said, we, we knew each other when we were young, single, and no gray hair. And uh, to see that now he and Susie are missionaries to reaching the Jewish nation. And uh, I've had the joy of, of recommending uh, his son Phil as pastor here in Northridge. And now the joy of recommending his son and daughter-in-law as pastors here. This church is very special to me because 10 years ago, a young couple from Pennsylvania uh, came to my office saying, we feel God's called us to start a church in Santa Monica. And I'm thinking, you're from Pennsylvania? <laughs> what do you know about Santa Monica? And this young couple, Nathan and Jessica, started this church and my son who was a graphic designer here in West LA was looking for a church and I said son there's this young guy starting a church he needs some help and so he came and and uh, he also brought met his wife and got married I dedicated his son here and my daughter met her husband Brandon here and so this church has had a very special meaning to me and I'm humbled as Scott said my grandparents came from Mexico My dad is a gardener, he passed away, and today I'm the superintendent. What a great God we serve. As he said, I'm from the ghetto, it's called Pacoima. How many know where Pacoima is? You can't get more ghetto than Pacoima. And there in the San Fernando Valley, my grandpa started a Spanish-speaking church. At the age of five years old, I gave my life to Jesus in his church. Now, I don't know why I waited so long, but at five years old, I said, I'm gonna get serious and I'm gonna serve God. So today, I don't have a testimony on how to overcome drugs because I've never taken a drug. Can't tell you how to be delivered from alcohol because I've never, well, that's not true. Every once in a while, I take a shot of NyQuil. We call that Pentecostal whiskey in my house. But that's like the strongest drink I've ever had, never been in trouble with the law. You say, well, what can you tell me? I can say this, that the promises of God are real, that the saving power of Jesus can keep you all the days of their life. That's why we dedicate children so they can live for Jesus the rest of their life. And I'm so thankful for my grandfather, for my father that gave me that opportunity. And today, in a few moments, we're going to be installing the co-pastors, Josh and Kylie, as the pastors of Dwell Church. But let me share my heart. I don't have much time, so it's going to be a brief message. You have to invite me back to hear the full version, okay? Okay. But I travel, I oversee 481 churches from Fresno down to the Mexican border. I speak in a different church every Sunday. Matter of fact, turn to your neighbor and say, I belong to a big family. Tell them, I belong to a big family. I know what you're thinking. I'm thinking, I know I didn't get any breakfast this morning. No, you belong to a family called the Assemblies of God. That in 1914, 300 people gathered because they had experienced what we call the Pentecostal experience. And because they felt it was for a purpose, and they declared in 1914 that we as a fellowship would be the greatest soul winning organization the world's ever known. And today, around the world, there now numbers 70 million people who are attending an Assembly of God church just like this. Our missionaries tell us every 35 seconds, someone is giving their heart to Jesus Christ in Assembly of God church. You're part of that through your support of missionaries, through your praying for missionaries like the Roberts. Uh, we're making a difference, that's the good news. The bad news is of those 70 million, 67 million live overseas, and less than 3 million live in the United States of America. It's sad to say that today the United States of America is the third most lost nation in the world behind China and India. How can that be? A nation that God has blessed, a nation that sent missionaries on the world is now lost. As I said, I travel for a living and I kept there early and I've been here several times, but so I know where your Starbucks is. It's buried in the supermarket down the street here. And But I drive around and, and you see church after church after church. Christian radio, Christian television. How can America be so lost? As that is that many of those churches are now empty. They estimate in America that there'll be 4,000 churches that will start, but 7,000 churches this year will close its doors forever. Now, you don't believe that the Dwell Church will no longer be a church, do you? But neither do those 7,000 churches. What happened? And I believe Dwell Church is at a real crossroads that I was here since its birth, but where will it go And what will happen to to our church, let me just be honest with you, the great churches of America isn't because they have great buildings. Some of them don't even own a building. Or that they have big budgets. Some of them have no budget. Or even they have great pastors. I know some of these guys, and Josh, some of them are not that great. The great churches of America are great because they're made up of great people who love God, who love pastor, who love their church, and who love their community and I think that's the challenge today. How can this church make a difference in this community? I always do a graphical study, a geographical study of wherever I'm at, and a five-mile radius. How many of you live within five miles of this church? Most of you don't, I'm sure. Uh, Most people don't, but just five miles around this church. Census tells us there are 472,000 people just in a five-mile radius around this church. By, and by the year 2024, there will be uh, 495,000 people, just five miles around this church. And we know by census of those 472,000, only 20% of them say they come to church. Think about it. Now, they might just show up for Easter or Christmas, but they think they're churchgoers. When I pastored, I had a man in my church say, Pastor, every time I come, you preach the same message. I said, because you only come at Christmas time, that's why. <laughs> if you came in another time, you'd hear another message. But 20% of that 472,000 say they go to church. 20% have stopped coming to church. How many know people that used to come to church and no longer come to church, right? Uh, Scott and I grew up with a lot of people who started, but they stopped. They got their feelings hurt. Someone said something. We're a bunch of hypocrites, whatever. Lady in my church said, you know, pastor, every time I come to church, this lady, in the church gives me a dirty look. I said, what? Oh, she gives me a dirty look. I said, sister, that's just the way she looks. But everyone has an excuse why they've stopped coming to church. But of those 472,000, 60% of them have never been to church a day in their life. They weren't raised in church, didn't have Christian... Grandparents like me or parents like I did, they've never been to church. And the number one reason is no one's ever invited me to church. I was talking to one gentleman who works in the industry, talks. They have all these spiritual questions. They're not like they don't believe in God. They just don't believe in church. They don't, they don't understand why we gather And so you become the challenge of reaching this community. And yet, how can you? Let's just be honest. How can this church, it's been in existence now 10 years, really make a difference in this community? If you hear nothing I say, hear this. The Bible is very clear. When there is a need, sensed by a few and everyone does what he or she can do with what he or she has, then regardless of the odds, God can work a miracle. Some of you need a miracle in your life today. This community needs a miracle. And everyone here that sense a need and is willing to do what they can do with what they have, and accepts the responsibility regardless of the odds, then God works a miracle. If you have a Bible, I'm gonna talk to you about a most famous parable in all the Bibles found in Mark chapter six, starting with verse 34. It is the most famous miracle because it's the only miracle written in Mark, in all the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John it's the feeding of the 5,000. How many have heard that miracle before? Well, it wasn't just 5,000 because that was just the men and they were also probably spouses. So, and they, these Jewish men were probably like Mexican men and they probably had a dozen kids. So, I mean, it's like 20, 30,000 people really that God feeds or the Lord feeds. But God, Jesus never does a miracle just to show off. But this miracle signifies where this church is at and maybe where you're at personally, where there is a need sensed by a few, and everyone accepts the responsibility to do what they can do with what they have, regardless of the odds, then God works a miracle. Maybe you need a miracle in your life today. You know, you'll never have a miracle unless you look for a miracle. I mean, how can God use what I have? You have to look for the miracle. And so for you to remember this parable, I'm just going to give you four words. The first is locate the problem. You'll never have a miracle in your life until you locate the problem. And that's where our story begins. It says, when Jesus saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Just think about that for a moment. There are seven and a half billion people on this planet and Jesus has compassion for them. And he sees you. He sees your tears. He hears your cry. It said that when Jesus saw a large crowd, he had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. The problem is obvious. It's a large crowd. They're in a remote place, and there's no food. There's no McDonald's. There's nothing. But every miracle begins with a problem. If you don't have a problem today, you don't need a miracle. But maybe there's a problem in your marriage. Maybe there's a problem with your finances. Maybe there's a problem with your health. Until you locate it, God can't help you. There was a problem. You've got to locate the problem. But you look on. Not only do you need to locate the problem, you need to own up to the problem. Notice our story. It says in verse 35, by this time, it was late in the day. And so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the country, surrounding countrysides and villages and buy them something themselves to eat. Notice the disciples finally got concerned. <laughs> they said, Lord, look at all these hungry people. <laughs> they took responsibility for their condition. We're not going to reach America We're not gonna reach our communities. We're not gonna reach Santa Monica until somebody owns up to the responsibility. Is it just the pastor's responsibility? They owned up to the responsibility. Let me ask you a question. Who saw the need first that these people were hungry? The disciples or Jesus? Not a trick question, right? Jesus knew they were hungry, but Jesus did nothing. Until the disciples owned up to the problem. Hey, we gotta do something. They're hungry people here. Verse 6 of John 6 says that Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. But Jesus did nothing about the problem until the disciples got concerned. That's the challenge of the church in America. Our missionaries tell us that they have never met a believer overseas who's come to Christ who didn't share their faith. Kylie spent a lot of her life in Latin America. She'd tell you, they have no resources. They have very little Bible knowledge, but they've embraced this person called Jesus Christ, and they've got to tell someone. They own the problem. They said, somebody has to tell them. Maybe you have a problem in your relationships today. You've got to own it. You could say, it's my problem. It's, maybe it's my anger. It's, it's my attitude. You've got to own the problem. Jesus, do something about the problem. Feed these 5,000. And notice his response in verse 37 of Mark 6. But Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. What? <laughs> That's like, What? Yeah, that was the solution. Jesus said, Give them something to eat. Now, it was practically impossible. Man, you know. Even if they had enough hamburger meat to make 15,000 tacos, right? They, they, had, they had no way. It was impossible. And notice in verse 37, they said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it them to eat? Lord, it's impossible. We can't do it. We can't feed these. you telling... We could say the same thing today. God, we can't make a difference in Santa Monica. Just as few people, we can't do it. It's impossible. Why does God ask us to do the impossible? Because it takes faith, that's why. If we could do it without God's help, we've already done it. We can't do it on our own. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's gonna take a miracle to bring revival to Santa Monica, but you've gotta locate the problem, you've gotta own up to the problem, and it's gonna take faith to do it. Now, why don't we step up to the plate? It's obvious. Common reactions when we're facing the impossible is, number one, we procrastinate. Notice it says, it was late in the day. Why did it take them all day to realize these people were hungry? They missed breakfast, they missed lunch, it wasn't till late in the day. They procrastinated, someday, we're gonna get involved. Someday, we're gonna serve. Someday, we're gonna tithe. Someday, I'm gonna invite my neighbor. Someday, we procrastinate. It was late in the day, or oh, we passed the buck. Not my fault these people came out in the desert. I didn't ask them to come. I didn't ask these people that are lost or homeless. I didn't ask them. I didn't. I didn't tell them to be homeless. It's not my fault, it's not my responsibility. You know, we pass the buck. You know, in verse 36, the disciples says, send the people away. Let's just ship all the homeless to LA. Let's just We pass the buck or we worry about it. Verse 37 again says, and they said to the Lord, it will take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much? on bread and give them something to eat. There's always an accountant in the group. <laughs> this isn't that of Lord. This what if, what if, how are we going to feed all these people? Who's going to prepare the meal? Who's going to clean up? We need, we need, we need a you know, permit. We need liability insurance. We need what if, what if, what if, and we miss the move of God because we worry about it, and worry is the opposite of faith. The people who are making a difference in life, in life today aren't warriors, they're people of faith. Gotta locate the problem. Problem's all around us. Gotta own up. It's our responsibility. And thirdly, the next O and look, is only do your best. That's what the story tells us. He's, God is saying, only do your best. Verse 38. It says, and how many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five fish, five loaves, and two fish. Now, John, in his account, tells a story that they go and uh, they find a little boy who brought his glad back lunch. Think about it. Of the 5,000 plus that were in the crowd, only a little boy brought something to eat <laughs> what did you bring today what are you bringing to God he gave his best what do you bring you well uh, I brought my hour and 15 minutes <laughs> now what do you bring your time, your ministry, your talent. A little boy brings his lunch and that was the beginning of the miracle. In our story, boy, I learned a lot from this little boy. You notice that he gave God what he had. God never asks anything of you that you don't have just what you have. God is not looking for your ability He's looking for your availability. I think Scott and I were the only two guys in our church growing up, didn't speak Spanish. I grew up in a Spanish-speaking church and I don't speak Spanish. It's a miracle that God used my life. But as a young boy, I said, God, here I am. I give you all I have. Don't say someday, he's asking what do you have now that you can give? What do you have now that you can contribute to reaching this community, to making a difference? He gave what he had, but notice in our story, he gave all he had. Notice this, he didn't tithe on the fish and the bread. He gave it all, but God, I can't can't give up this relationship. I can't give up my career. I can't give up my hopes and dreams. He gave what he had and he gave all he had. And notice, he gave it immediately when God asked for it. He didn't have to go pray about it. As a pastor, I say, We need help. Can you help us with kids? Pastor, I need to pray about it. Let me just give you a response You don't need to pray about it. There is a need. You're still breathing. Are you willing to do it immediately? The problem is, well, if I give, the boy could have said, if I give, I'm going to go hungry. If I give my little lunch, if I give my tithe, if I give my time, and I, I won't have enough for myself, right? He could have said, you know, my little bit won't help. John 6, 9 says, and here was the little boy with five barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many, Andrew said. Five barley loaves, Scott would tell you. Those are like beggar's bread. The fish were probably sardines. <laughs> he gives up what he has. And even the disciples said, it's not worth it. It can't make a difference. As I stood in my church growing up, I thought, what difference will I ever make? God, how can you use my life? You know, there's a verse of scripture in 1 Corinthians one. 26, it says, for you see a calling, brethren, not many wise, not many noble, not many mighty are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. That word foolish is the Greek word moros. We get the word morons. That God uses morons. That's my testimony right there. (laughs) You've got to locate the problem. You've got to own up to the problem. And you can only do your best. That's all God wants. Are you doing your best today? In your marriage? In your church? With this community? I ask myself that question every day. God, am I doing my best? I think I pray the shortest prayer in the summons of God. I say, dear Lord, I did my best today. Good night. I'll see you in the morning. (laughs) Only do your best. And then finally, you want a miracle? you got to use what you have. You've got to keep your faith in God. Verse 39 of Mark 6, Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50, hundreds and 50s, taking the five loaves and two fishes and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them, and they all ate and were satisfied. I love that. Satisfied. Say that with me. Satisfied. That black preacher I heard one time preach this. They were satisfied. Everywhere you read by Jesus and bread. It's a biblical principle. I I experienced it in my own life. He first takes the bread and he blesses it, right? Gave thanks. And then he broke it before he could share it. He's blessed you. But maybe he wants to break you. Break that thing that's in your life. It's still holding you back. It's keeping you from being all that God wants you to be before he can start using you. And notice, God specializes in doing something that's humanly impossible. Because he took the bread and he broke it. Every time he broke it, it came back in his hand. He broke it. I mean, if someone asks me, how did he do it? I have no idea. All I know is that they began to Distribute the food. And it says that all of them ate and were satisfied. And they had 12 full baskets left over. I've often thought, what ha- I wonder what they did with those 12 baskets. I can imagine that little boy who gave up his lunch. They said, son, here, take these home. Can you see this little boy taking these 12 baskets home? And his mom says, Junior, where did you get all this food? Mom, you don't understand. You, can't be- you won't believe it. I gave my little lunch. And this man called Jesus. Fed everyone. And he gave them back to me 12 baskets full. What is God asking you to do? God said, my grandpa who pioneered the church in San Fernando, he was my hero. When he passed away, I was in Bible college and they'd asked me to come and uh, speak at his funeral. And I got home and I was around the table with my parents talking about my grandpa and they said to me, son, you remind us so much of your grandpa. Like the grace thing. Someone could tell me, because I love this man. As a small boy, I used to say, God, I want to lo- I want to know you like that man does. I want to love people like he does. I want. So I said uh, to them, what reminds you how I love people? They said, No, your grandpa really loved people. You and your Is it how I preach? Oh, no, your grandpa was a great preacher. I said, what do I remind you about? You're stubborn like your grandpa. (laughs) Oh, my grandpa was stubborn. Man, he was stubborn. Matter of fact, I'm a little boy, not even 10 years old, and uh, he says to my mom and dad, I want to take my grandson with me to Mexico. Every winter... December, my grandpa and his church would collect food and clothing to take to Mexico. And the people in his church would say, Miss Pastor Guerra, we refuse to let you go to Mexico. Because every time you go, you drink the water, you eat their food, and you almost die. And so we refuse for you to go again to Mexico. But my grandpa was stubborn like me. So he wanted me to go with him. Now, my mother was scared to death because I was a stubborn little kid. And uh, he said, don't go over there. I would go over there, right? So it was winter time. so she buys me one of those hunter hats because it's really cold. You know, the kind of have fur that you can pull down over your ears? But this one was bright red because she was convinced if I got lost in Mexico, they would never find me because I don't speak Spanish and I don't look like a Mexican, and they could see me miles away. There he is, well, there was little Richie, way over there. In the... So there, we're driving in my dad's truck. My dad's driving, I'm in the middle, and my grandpa, and we're driving into Mexico. And once we get into Mexico, we come off the road, and we're on dirt. I said, Grandpa, there's nothing out here but but tumbleweeds, and he says, Mijo, we're almost there. We drove on this dirt road for seemed like hours. We come into a valley, and in this valley, there's a sea of cardboard boxes. And those were homes of this village. And they came running out of the home because the man of God had come back like he said he was going to come back. You know, and... My grandpa sits me in the back of the truck, and he says, mijo, I know you don't speak Spanish, but it's okay. You give them a bag of food, and you give them a bag of clothes. Can you do that? Like, I'm like nine, eight, nine years old. I said, Grandpa, I can do that. And so they didn't come for the food. They came because they knew this man of God was going to preach the gospel, and they wanted to hear it again. And so they're coming up. I'm handing out this food, and baskets and 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 clothes baskets and and this little boy little boy about my age with his two little buddies come up to the truck now it's in the middle of winter it's in december he has jeans on a t-shirt and uh no shoes so i give him a bag of clothes and he didn't speak english i didn't speak spanish but i knew what he was saying he said no 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 i don't want the clothes I said, but you need clothes. His T-shirt was ripped. I could see his ribs. And so I grab a, a, a bag of food. I said, this food is for you. And he says this, no, 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 no. I don't want the food. I said, you need food. You haven't eaten. Never did I feel so helpless and hopeless in my life. But the entire time he's standing there, all he's doing is staring at my head. At my hat, so I take off my hat, I look at him, I look at my hat, I look at him, I look at my hat, and I give him my red Hunter's hat. He puts that hat on, turns around, and walks down that dirt street, the proudest Mexican in all of Mexico, with his little buddies falling behind. I turn around. My grandpa had seen the whole thing with a smile on his face. I knew why he sacrificed his life every winter. Well friend, if you look over your shoulder, you have a heavenly father that's looking down at you. Are you putting a smile on his face because you're doing your best? Or today you're saying, Pastor Rich, I've located the problem and it's me. I haven't owned up to it, but today I am. I haven't done doing my best, but I'm going to. And I'm going to keep my faith in God. Today, if you want God to do a miracle in your life, you've got to look to the one who loves you and has promised to help you, and his name is Jesus. Would you bow in prayer? Heavenly Father, just a moment right before we install our new pastors here, You have a divine appointment with everyone in this room. That today you can be forgiven of your sin. Today you can be set free from the things that are binding you. Today you can have a new purpose and meaning in your life. My question is, is he smiling down at you today? You can put a smile on his face, your heavenly father, by simply saying, Lord, come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. I own up to the problem. I've located the problem. I'm gonna do my very best and I'm gonna keep my faith in God. If that's you today, right before I pray, just lift up your hand and say, Pastor Rich, pray for me. I haven't done my best. There's areas in my life that I need to surrender to him. If that's you, just lift up your hand and I'm gonna pray and include you in this prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for forgiving me of my sin, the communion we had today is remembrance of what you did for, on the cross for us, that your shed blood washed away our sin. If we'll just claim you, proclaim you as our Lord and Savior, that's what I'm doing today, that I'm going to live for you, I'm going to do my best every day, I'm going to keep my faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Right now, in the next few moments, I'd like to invite uh, Pastor Josh and Kylie to come and stand with me up here, if you'd be so kind to do so. One of the joys I have as a superintendent is to install new pastors, and you're getting two co-lead pastors. Now, if you're uh, like a board member or an elder that really, I commend you, because whoever you are, you have sought God, you have prayed, you say, God lead us, and this church is still here because they never gave up. So if you're here today, if you're an elder or board member, could you stand up here with us? I don't know if if they're here today, because I think that what we're going to do, we want to. Charge them. We want to charge the board or elders here, but we also want to charge those that call Dwell Church their home church. So you're all going to get charged in this. Thank you, Pastor Josh and Kylie. Let me share with you right before we install you as co-lead pastors of Well Church, L.A. First Timothy. Chapter three, verse one, it says, here's a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer or a pastor, he or she desires a noble task. Tremendous responsibility, what they're doing. Matter of fact, they'll be judged much differently than all of you, just as I will be. It says, don't let anyone look down upon you because you're young, but set an example. For the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity, devote yourself to public reading of scripture, preaching, and teaching. Do not neglect your gift. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress, watch your life and cl- doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, notice, you will say both yourselves and the hearers. notice their main responsibility is to hear from God and proclaim that truth your main responsibility is to take care of each other think about that I deal with churches that are in crisis because they miss the alignment but healthy churches are made up this way that pastors guide boards guard and members give. Say that again. When a church gets in trouble, they've messed up the formula. Pastors guide. They're the ones given the vision. Board members or elders guard. They guard the integrity of their pastor. They guard the integrity of the finances. And members give. As soon as members want to guide, you're in trouble. As soon as pastors want to guard, you're in trouble how it works. That's why each of you has a responsibility. So first, let me begin with the pastors. Pastor Josh and Kidley, let me offer you some words of encouragement today. These are not concepts that you do not know, but it is critical juncture of your life and ministry as the pastors that dwell. Let me remind you, be a man and woman of integrity. Without character, you have no ministry. Giftedness is not a substitute for integrity. Giftedness might get you by for a while, but effective ministry is built on a life of integrity. I know them both. These are people of integrity. Second, be a man and woman of prayer. Intercede for your family, for your church, for the lost, and for the city. It's God's will for you to daily come before Him in intercession. Effective ministry is implemented in the power of prayer. Thirdly, be servants. Be servants. Lead by serving. Let me quickly remind you that you are to raise up servants. Because of your example, they will want to serve as well. Fourthly, be an evangelist. It is true that God has called you to be pastors, but you must not overlook the world, the work of the evangelism. There's a lost world. We talked about 472,000 people. You must be a soul winner not just because of your profession but because you're a christian now to the board and elders thank you for your faithfulness through this process there's three things you need to do first embrace the pastor's vision just like aaron and her lifted up moses's hands and when they did the battle went well when moses hands began to fall the battle turned against them I can tell you, as a superintendent, there's a spiritual battle that's happening right now and pastors are falling because no one is standing with them today. Embrace your pastor's vision. Secondly, champion your pastor's vision. Don't, Don't let other people put your pastors down, champion, encourage them, you are the greatest satisfied customers of this church because not only you embrace but you champion
0: his vision.
1: Then finally those of you that are in leadership resource the pastor's vision. You do it with your time, with your finances, with your prayer, take care of your pastors financially, spiritually, and they will always take care of you. Now finally to the congregation. Number one, be willing workers. When you're asked to do something in ministry, surprise them by saying, Pastor, I'd be happy to do it. Better yet, come to them before they ask and say, what can I do? Let's practice that right now. What can I do? I'm a little bit better than that, okay? What can I do? There's nothing more that will bless a pastor than people say, Pastor, what can I do? Secondly, be good followers. Good leadership requires good followers. Your pastors are great leaders, and I'm sure that they would say that you are good followers. The sheep love to follow a loving shepherd. I tell my pastors that great shepherds smell like sheep. Be good followers. Thirdly, be in prayer daily for your pastors and their families. My family. I'm so thankful because, as a little boy, I was willing to give my best. I've had the joy of speaking probably in front of hundred thousand over my life. I've seen thousands come to life. the greatest That my three kids, Ryan, Andrew, and Lindsay, know Jesus Christ as they are and Savior. Because if the enemy can't get me, man, he's going to shoot at my kids. That's why they need prayer. I'm asking you to be in prayer daily for your pastors and If you say yes to those three, then we'll pray. How many will say yes? Stand with me in prayer. I'd like some of you to come that feel led and put your hands on Pastor Josh and Kylie as we pray. Would you do that? Feel led. Come up and lead and let's pray together. This is a great, path, great church you're meeting with great people. Feel led to come and lay your hands on them. It's a sign of interceding on their behalf. I know you've made a commitment that you're going to do it on a daily basis. So let's reach out by stretching forth our hands to them and asking God to bless this moment. Heavenly Father, so thankful for Josh and Kylie, your daughter, who answered the call to be the pastors of Well Church LA. It was Los Angeles in the early 1900s that you poured out your spirit. We call it Azusa Street and they estimate from Azusa Street there are over 900 million Pentecostals worldwide because what happened just down the road from here God we pray once again in revival again Los Angeles that you will anoint these two pastors God and with people that are committed that will embrace the vision that will champion the vision, and that will resource the vision. That this city won't perish, but many will come to repentance. And Lord, we'll give you all the honor and glory. So bless them, inspire them, use them mightily. Surround them with a group of people that will love them and care for them, provide for them. And Lord, we'll thank you. We offer them to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor Josh and Kylie, on the basis of the call extended to you by the board and congregation on the behalf of the SoCal Network, I officially install you as co-lead pastors of Dwell Church Los Angeles. Let's thank them. Dan, can you give me that bag? That bag right behind you. Now, I have a little gift. Uh, I pray for our pastors daily, and I use... This coffee cup, not this one, but just like this. It says SoCal Network. And so when I install pastors, I give them, usually it's one, but these are co-pastors, so they each get one. So as I'm drinking of that cup and I pray for you, will you pray for me? I cover your prayers. Our network covers your prayers. And I know that God's going to bless you. So... Once again, let's celebrate one more time. Thank you.
2: Thank you, church, family. It's an honor to serve you. and lest any glory go to anybody, anybody else but the Lord. We're here to serve only him and you, but him, him alone. And so as we lead, we do promise to lead with integrity and character. And we submit ourselves to accountability to our community, to our board, to remind us of, of our integrity, to, to champion the vision that God has given. And so we thank you for loving us, we thank you for embracing us. And we can't wait to see what God will do in this community.
3: As Kylie said, uh, it is such an honor and it's very humbling to, to be here in this special moment. And we're very grateful for just the support of everyone At Dwell, Thank you, especially to those that were able to come out and help us unload our trailer. (laughs) My back hurts a little bit less because you were there. (laughs) And to our amazing board that has served this congregation well, um, their integrity and their faithfulness to the Lord is what first drew us to dwell. Uh, Their heart was for God's will for this church, and that made it very interesting to us. And as we've gotten to know more and more of you, we're excited to see what God will do through all of us together so we love you we thank you guys and we're just as Kylie said humbled and honored to serve along with you and uh, I think that's it right God bless you guys we'll see you if you want to hang out and talk we'll hang out and talk